0: Good morning, Deep Run family. I hope you all are well. Please join me in reading from the English Standard Version, Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. It has been a painful couple of weeks uh, for everybody. Um, it has been a a painful lifetime in history for our brothers and sisters and and neighbors of color. I'm thinking about the murder of George Floyd. I'm thinking about the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, other incidents, everything that's transpired since. It's been a hard time uh, for everyone. And and look, I I know that at these times we want to hear from our leaders at every level and in every arena of life. And listen, I, I am not a politician, uh, right? I, I'm not a politician, though I do have political opinions. And I'm not a historian, but history really does inform me. And, and I'm not an activist. I'm not a community organizer, though I believe those endeavors have a place in our society. I am a Christian pastor. My calling is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and to shepherd them by prayerfully speaking the word of God into their lives. Uh, That's my calling. And and, and that is the best way that I could help you right now. That's the best way I can help you at any time. Um, A lot has been said and written and posted from political perspectives, historical perspectives, from the vantage point of activists, and that's all fine. And, and, And you can get that stuff anywhere. Um, Not much has been said about God's perspective, and that is my business. And so, where does our study of the Sermon on the Mount bring us today? We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount since last September. And lo and behold, today, we come to the passage. We come to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Hmm. Now, there are similar ancient sayings from Greece and China uh, and and even uh, the, the Jewish rabbis of antiquity. But nobody quite said it like Jesus puts it here. You see, in this, Jesus is telling us, he's reminding us that God has established a law of grace That overrules the law of retaliation. Grace overrules retaliation in the kingdom of God. Now, we basically all believe, we all believe in a law of retaliation. Uh, The world kind of functions that way, Or, or think of karma, or just think of simple reciprocity. You get what you give, you reap what you sow. What goes around comes around, or in a similar way, an eye for an eye, right? Actually, this all makes sense, and Jesus has already told us that the universe works this way. If you go back to chapter 7, verse 2, he had said to us, remember when he said, don't judge or you're going to be judged. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's reciprocity. In this world, where we see evil at every level, from a two-year-old all the way up to a tyrant, reciprocity is critical for civil societies to function. But here's the thing. Today, Jesus isn't talking about civil government. He's not even talking about law enforcement or the military. Jesus is talking about you how you relate to other people in your life or how you relate to other people groups. If you apply these principles of reciprocity that make civil society work but if you apply them personally to how you deal with people in your life you're going to become part of the problem. If the principles of general karma and reciprocity are the principles you are using in how to think and speak and act to other people personally you're part of the problem Jesus summarizes here the entire sermon on the mount and frankly he summarizes all of the old testament by commanding his followers to brace to embrace an alternative way not only do we not retaliate for wrongs done to us Christians are called to go higher than that. Christians are called to bless and to help and to understand and to consider and to forgive and to serve and to love. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so the idea for today is this, that God's law demands that we love others As we expect to be loved ourselves. Let me put it more positively. The law of God calls us to a higher vision of responding to our enemies, to those who are different. And so I want to discuss three things today. The first is, how are we supposed to think about loving those who are other? The second is, what do we do about loving those who are other? And then finally, what God did to love us. Let me define what I mean by other for our purposes today. Other means somebody who is different than you. Somebody or a group of people who are different than the majority of us in any context and especially here in the Christian church. And I also mean by other, anyone who is opposed to you. Any one person or group of people that you would see in an adversarial light or who see you in an adversarial light. Okay, so how to think about loving those who are other, what to do about loving those who are other, and finally, what God did to love us. Okay, how to think about loving those who are other. Regardless of where the title, the Golden Rule, originated, no one's really not sure. Right? But, but this passage today is known as the Golden Rule. But the meaning of that phrase is obvious. It is more valuable than any law or regulation or statute known to humanity, ever. This is the greatest. This is the most precious. In all things, treat others the way you expect to be treated. Or Jesus is basically regurgitating the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The reason this rule is so precious is because if everybody did this, the government, the police, the military would have little to do. right? And no person and no people group and no race would ever have to fear abuse or inequity. Now, of course, this is not often the case. Never has it been the case. So Christ here calls his followers to a radical alternative. And it is not in action. It is not apathy. It is active love. The Christian is not called to do unto others what they have done to him. (laughs) Uh, We're not called to do unto others what we think they deserve. The Christian is not called to do unto unto others whatever she pleases. To do unto others nothing at all. No, he doesn't say that. The The Christian is to offer in any circumstance, the gift of peace, the gift of understanding and help and partnership and service, as though she were in need of these very same things herself. Jesus is saying, do unto others whatever you think you would need in the very same circumstance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, Uh, who opposed the Nazi regime, in his great book, Discipleship, said this, which really summarizes the whole situation very well. He really gets at the heart of what Jesus is saying. Jesus gives the disciples a simple rule, by which even the most simple-minded can evaluate whether their dealings with others are right or wrong. They need only reverse the I and the you in the relationship. They need only put themselves in the other's place and the other in their own. At that moment, the disciples lose any claim of special rights toward other people. He goes on to say, They cannot excuse in themselves what they condemn in others. Now they are, listen to this, They are as tough on the evil in themselves as they used to be on the evil in others, and as considerate of evil in others as they are of themselves. This mentality, friends, is essential for those who are other to feel welcome among us, to feel understood among us, and to begin to believe that they are of equal value. And when that begins to happen, you, you then have a shared ownership. But as James chapter 2 verse 17 tells us, faith without works is dead, right? So thinking about all of this stuff must produce action. And I know that we're not at a place uh, to do a whole lot. Um, we have to really think critically, and we have to think prayerfully and humbly right now. But thinking must eventually produce action. So what to do about loving those who are other in circumstances like this? Uh, I want to address three arenas in in, in which we have to think about how we ought to love those who are other. Three arenas uh, in our lives right now. Um, And I'm going to only touch them briefly because I'm not an expert in all of these areas and we just don't have the time. But three arenas Racial tension, political tension, and the tension on social media. Um, Racial tension, political tension, and there is a lot of tension on social media. So, uh, newsflash, there is racial tension still in our society. In the forms of injustice and inequity. What I mean by injustice is that people, because of the color of their skin and their, their ethnic and racial history, are not given their due as fellow human beings and fellow citizens. Injustice is, not giving, is people not getting their due as created in the image of God. And there is also inequity because of race. And what I mean by inequity is that, be, that for some people, because of the color of their skin and their ethnic or racial history, the system, in some aspects of society, the system is stacked against them. They are not afforded the same advantages as everyone else. They're, they're starting the race 50 yards behind other people. Now, before some of you get mad at me, I want you to remember that the Old Testament law assumed that things like inequity and injustice would even happen in God's nation in ancient Israel. Think about it. The the one nation in the history of humanity whose laws were written by God Himself, even there God assumed that there was going to be injustice and inequity. The American Constitution has nothing on the law of Moses. And even the law of Moses assumed that injustice and inequity were going to take place. This is why God said in the Mosaic Law, pay closer attention, everybody, to the plight of those who cannot defend themselves because the system is stacked against them in certain aspects. Pay closer attention to the plight of orphans and widows and aliens living among you because these people are more susceptible to inequity and injustice. This is why the Old Testament prophets would later come along and speaking in the name of God would condemn Israel for sacrificing children to false gods, for neglecting the poor, orphans, widows, aliens. So even in God's ancient theocracy, there occurred what we see in every society and in our own today. And so in response to all of this, the the theologian Carl Ellis, uh, just recently in a video call uh, with a few of us here, um, uh, uh, it was an event with Metro Baltimore Seminary, Carl Ellis said this, the system better caters to some than others. And he said, we don't want to create dependence, but we do need a system where some share the power with others. And, and and he said that's exactly what happened in the New Testament in the early church in Acts chapter six verses one through seven. There there was a matter of inequity and injustice, and it was over ethnic and racial differences in the early church. And and the church dealt with it. When injustice and inequity intersect with race and ethnicity, the Bible calls us to respond. And so again, Carl Ellis said, now Carl Ellis is an African-American theologian, and he said, we can't eradicate racism any more than we can eradicate sin. we, We need to be, we need to be thinking here, Christians. We cannot eradicate racism any more than we can eradicate sin, but we don't accept it. We fight it our whole lives. The church is a community of protest against the systems of this world. We are an alternative witness. And you see it right there in Acts chapter 6, and you see it in the Mosaic Law. The people of God are an alternative witness to the systems of this world. And right now, I think maybe the church's greatest witness is just listening. Listening to grieve alongside of others. Listening to learn. Not listening to argue. Not listening to preach back listening to learn right now, okay? So, racial tension, but you know what? It's complex. There's also political tension. I think that our politicians and our media have successfully polarized our country. Not only our citizens, but but Christians have bought in to the polarization, so that with every issue, even Christians are are, are creating false dichotomies, either-or scenarios, that force everybody into either one camp or the other. Look, I am convinced that God does not want a uniform church. We're all different by God's design. We act different, we look different, we think differently, we have different backgrounds. God does not want uniformity, God wants unity. He wants a unified church in the midst of all of our beautiful diversity. And Carl Ellis went on to say, as a Christian, I am politically homeless. And you know what? I, I, personally, I resonate with that. Personally, I resonate with that. Now, I'm never going to tell you all how I vote. Not going to happen. But I will tell you now, uh, by conviction, I am a registered independent. Uh, because when I look at our two-party system, I do not see in either political party an agenda an overall agenda that represents the priorities of the kingdom of God. I don't. So, so um, look, politically, do not assume the motives of other Christians in how they act and represent themselves politically and vote. Do not assume their motives. Many factors contribute to why people think and vote and express themselves politically race contributes class contributes culture contributes temperament contributes background history experience contributes some Christians are, are one vote are, are one issue voters some Christians look at the entire system uh, some Christians react emotionally to political candidates some Christians simply think pragmatically Christians can have different political views but must always, according to what Jesus is saying here, must always afford each other the same dignity that they expect for themselves. Okay. Racial tension, political tension, tension on social media. Here we go. Um, When somebody posts something that offends you or concerns you, or when their silence on social media offends or concerns you, please, for the sake of Jesus, respond as you would want to be treated and understood yourself. Respond with reasonableness. Contact that person personally, privately, first. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 16? He said, you got a problem with somebody, go to them privately, personally, and sort it out just between the two of you. Start there, Jesus said. Or if you must respond publicly, look, afford to that person or to that group or to that organization, afford to them the same respect and patience that that you would expect them to have with you. Otherwise, friend, you might be misrepresenting them or shaming them or tarnishing their reputation publicly. Look, smartphones, smartphones combined with social media are powerful machines. I tell my kids, when, when, when we give them one of these, I say, this is a powerful machine. And, and, and these machines must be used wisely and charitably. Everybody knows you don't operate heavy equipment while intoxicated, right? There, there's always a sticker on the lawnmower or on the tractor that says, don't, don't, don't operate while inebriated, right? Everybody knows that. You don't drive a car while you're intoxicated because you put other lives at risk, including your own. Okay, well, when you use this, and you go into your social media zone while you are under the influence of grief or anger or fear, brother, sister, you are at great risk of hurting other people deeply. Don't use it under the influence. Social media is not a law unto itself. The Christian remains Bound to God's law, even there. Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out. That you are not consumed by one another. So friends, what do we do about loving those who are other? Than us. I think we start right here. We consider how God has already dealt with us before we respond to others, before we react to others. First, consider prayerfully, thoughtfully, what am I doing? Why am I responding? What am I trying to say? What am I trying to accomplish? God, is it glorifying you? God, is it loving my neighbor as I love myself? Am I affording others the same privileges I expect for myself? Do that before you respond and before you react, all right? Remember, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that the opposite of righteousness, the foil of righteousness is what? It's not immorality. It's not ignorance. The opposite of righteousness, according to Jesus, is hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, according to the Sermon on the Mount, is having a divided heart not being fully focused on loving God and loving your neighbors. Look, we cannot glorify God and promote His kingdom while at the same time dismissing the needs of other human beings. A hypocritical religion is this. A hypocritical religion is a person's moral attitude devoid of moral action. When it comes to religion, hypocrisy is moral moral attitude devoid of moral action. So so you can attend church regularly, and you can give charitably, and you can study your Bible, but fail to hear the needs and the perspective of your neighbor or your brother and sister in Christ. You know, at one point in the Gospels, a scribe, a religious professional, asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? because he was trying to justify himself. He was trying to box in the limits of who he had to love, right? That, that, that's what we all do. We say, well, Lord, what's the limit? Who do I have to love? You know, how far do I have to go to love other people? You know, give me a little box so, so I can know who I'm responsible for and I can ignore and, oversee, and overlook and dismiss other people that I don't feel like dealing with, right? And what did Jesus say to the question, who is my neighbor? He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He basically was saying to that scribe, who's your neighbor? I'll tell you who your neighbor is. Even your sworn enemy is your neighbor. And look, Christians, if our sworn enemies are supposed to be our neighbors, according to Jesus, how much more then must Christians treat each other and treat those who are other in the church with the same fairness that we would afford to ourselves? But we're not doing that, are we? We're not doing that. We're lecturing one another instead of listening to one another. We're dismissing each other instead of acknowledging one another. We are condemning one another instead of discerning what are all the factors in the situation. We are doing unto each other what we think seems best to each of us. And that breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father. But what a joy, I thought about this, what a joy it is to know that Jesus isn't like that. This is how the kingdom of God advances. This is how the kingdom of Jesus Christ moves forward in our lives and in this world right now as Christians put our adversaries' needs before our own. The kingdom of God advances in history as Christ's followers look to the needs of those who are other and make them more important than our own needs. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I am certain that Jesus understood the difficulty inherent in the act of loving one's enemy. Jesus realized that every genuine expression of love listen to this, grows out of a consistent and total surrender to God. And there you have it. You can't love others, and you can't love those who are other, and you cannot love your adversaries or those who treat you like an adversary because you do not love God. That's the problem. That's where it's all coming from. In that moment, in that relationship, in that that dynamic, in that arena of life, you don't love God. You love something else or someone else. That's the deepest problem. We're not going to love one another. We're not going to love our enemies if we're not loving Him. Not loving one another is the proof that we don't love Him because He's the one that told us to do it. Here's what God did about the fact that you did not love Him and you still don't love Him in your anger, in your confusion, in your fear, you're not loving him, you're loving yourself. And here's what God did about that. He loved you anyway. We didn't love God and he loved us anyway. God applied, this is amazing, God applied the golden rule to himself. God did to us what he would have us do to him. You know me I mean? you go, well, how could he do that? He's God. The night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was executed on a Roman cross, he was praying to his heavenly father and he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me now, Father, is what Jesus said while he suffered in prayer for what he was about to do. You see, God desires that we glor- that the will of God, what God wants us to do to him is to glorify him, right? That's the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Moses said it. Jesus said it. That's the greatest thing we can do in life. But we didn't do that, and we haven't done that. What we did was we didn't glorify God. We cursed him. And we killed his son. And the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, listen to this, there was racial tension that contributed to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There was political tension that contributed to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And hey, there was no social media in the day. But look at this. There was a mob. But God didn't respond in kind. God did not retaliate. God didn't go all karma on us. And he did not enact reciprocity. God treated us as he wanted to be treated. Listen to this now. God glorified us when he sent his son. He glorified us in Jesus Christ when Jesus, the son of God, became a human being. We call it the incarnation. God glorified humanity when Jesus Jesus became one of us to carry our burdens, to know our griefs, to die for our sins, to rise from the dead. In all of this, God glorified humanity in Jesus Christ and still to this day in all who follow Jesus and live as Jesus lived. And Jesus' greatest act of love was to die for his enemies. The very thing that God expects us to do to him, he did unto us. So friends, consider how God has dealt with you in this amazing way. Consider how God has dealt with you before you respond or react to others. Maybe that's where we begin. Brothers and sisters, Friends, it is terrible enough that our cities are burning and that races still distrust one another and that injustice remains. Christians should not be devouring each other. The law of God demands that we love one another as we each expect to be loved and that we love those who are other and that we love even our enemies as we ourselves expect to be loved. So listening to learn, grieving alongside of one another, considering the perspective of those who are other, that may be our greatest witness now. And you know what? I I am not primarily talking to our brothers and sisters of color. I'm primarily talking to y'all who are white, including myself. Maybe our greatest witness right now is listening to learn, grieving alongside of one another, and considering the perspective of those who are different from us and think differently and have experienced life differently. Maybe that's our greatest witness right now as an alternative community. Okay, I'm going to close with Paul's words from Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Friends, I love you. And I know you love me. Let's be patient with one another. Let's treat one another as we expect to be treated, and as a body, let us consider the needs of other bodies and other groups above our own needs. And let's pray, and let's pray, and let's pray that God is glorified in all of this. What encourages me is Satan has his agenda, and the world has its agenda, but God has his agenda. And in the end, my friends, he will get his way. So let's get on board with his agenda. Let's pray. Our Lord God, our Father in heaven, our Creator, you have been so patient with us. Give us grace to be patient. Give us wisdom to be discerning. Give us humility to be loving. Help us to come alongside. Help us to listen. Help us to learn. Help us to think properly before we act. And Lord, help us to act. Help us to do more than think morally. Help us to act morally. In the name of Jesus Christ, your suffering servant, and for his sake, and for his kingdom. Amen.